Welcome to the Grace South Bay Church Podcast. I'm Matt Cabot, your host and elder at Grace South Bay. Each week we have a Q&A conversation with our pastors about their sermons. We talk theology and we get into the Bible. And we discuss how to live out our faith as Christians in Silicon Valley and beyond. Today we continue our conversation on our sermon series from Leviticus. In a sermon titled Blessings and Curses, Pastor Stephen looks at how God promises to bless Israel. But those blessings were conditional. What were the blessings, and what did Israel need to do to receive them? And what about us? What do we need to do to receive God's blessings? And will we be cursed if we don't behave in a certain way? We'll answer all those questions and more today as we dive into Leviticus chapter 26. Glad you're with us. Let's dig in. So, Stephen, the title of your sermon is Blessings and Curses, and both of those are here in this chapter. But as you pointed out, the blessings are pretty general, and the curses are very specific. Uh, why do you think that is? Well, I, I think that that's actually um, pretty common. You know, if you look mm. at uh, scholarship regarding uh, ancient Near East uh, covenants, documents, agreements between uh, what are called suzerain vassal treaties, and a suzerain would be a king or a landowner, a creditor, a vassal being someone working for them, living on the land, working the land, something like that, uh, a a debtor. Um, Most of these agreements that we have from different areas and different parts of the ancient Near East always contained a section at the end of blessings and curses. If you keep the covenant, here are the blessings of keeping the covenant. If you break the the covenant, if you don't live up to the expectations, here are the curses. And almost mm. always, the blessings are general, and the curses are specific. And I think partly because the the parties retained the right to bless the other party in whatever way mm. was right at the time, right? It was it was less of hey, here are, here are the good things you're going to get out of it, and more of like, yeah, we agree that if we both keep our sides of the of the agreement, of the covenant, things are going to be okay. The blessings are going to be there. But the curses are meant to inspire fear, to prevent uh, the parties from breaking the terms of the agreement. And so mm. specificity, uh, particularly of brutality, aids in <laughs> behavioral <laughs> modification, right? We, mm. as those of us who are parents of little kids, know that threatening uh, a, a child with a punishment if they don't uh, behave is, you know, effective sometimes. However, uh, there are times where that punishment has to get amped up, right? Not just, hey, you're going to sit in time out, uh, but you're going to lose dessert for tonight. Or, right. you know, as kids get older, you're going to be grounded. You're going to be grounded for a week, for a month, right? We, we will not be going to Disneyland if that's, you do this. Ooh. Yeah, that's a big yeah. one. I mean, that's, yeah. that, we understand that specificity of... <laughs> curses, if you will, that's the air quote sound, uh, <laughs> right? We get that, that the yeah. more specific you are, the more likely the person is to follow the rules. And so uh, we see that uh, happening here at the end of Leviticus. So one of the key questions we've discussed throughout this sermon series centers around application, right? This is a book typically that uh, people get to in their in their Bible reading plans and say, oh, I'm out. I don't know what it has to do with me. So how does this book with its rules and its regulations and now blessings and curses apply to us today? 
Um, so first, in general, uh, what do these blessings and curses mean to Israel? Right. We have to take Leviticus in its historical context and recognize that these were real warnings given to Israel regarding their participation in the covenant with God, right? God is telling them keeping the covenant will bring a beautiful existence in which their relationship with God would be a daily intimate engagement, God dwelling among his people, and because of that, there will be this bountiful life where rains come in their season, the harvests are plentiful, the food stores last for a while, there will be security both inside the kingdom, but also uh, a security from external enemies. It's going to be a, a huge blessing. And as we said, right, God is speaking generally, he's going to figure out exactly what it will look like, but the blessings are there. And and then, as, we, as you said, there's curses here too, mm-hmm. and God is specifically saying, when you don't obey and you don't follow my commandments and you don't keep the your part of the covenant, uh, there your actions will bring about hardship and suffering, mm. right? Famine, insecurity, internal strife within the kingdom, and then also conflict with other nations, and eventually being scattered among uh, the nations that surround you, right? Losing the land in which God had promised to dwell with them, and so losing their connection to God himself. And and God is warning them here, this will happen if you don't obey. And we're going to talk about what happens, because it's not a, not a, um, well, it's a happy ending in a global sense, but not not, uh, in in the middle of it. (laughs) Right, right. Okay, so then how are these stipulations a response to what God has already done? Yes, that's a great question, because uh, it, it seems here, if we just take this passage uh, on its own and uh, didn't set it in its context, that God is saying, obey and I'll love you, disobey and I'll punish you. Hmm. But what we have to remember is, is that Leviticus comes in a time where Israel is at the foot of Mount Sinai. God is speaking these things to Moses after he has already set them free right? Delivered them from slavery in Egypt, an act that he initiated on his own. He saved them as they fled from Pharaoh, as other nations attacked them. He provided food for them when there was none. He provided water for them to drink when there was none, right? God has already shown his favor in a mighty way towards these people and acted upon it by delivering them, providing for them, caring for them, saving them, being with them, that is the love of God. That is his favor. His, he calls Israel his firstborn son, his chosen mm. people. These are... Uh, the, the relationship is there. It's already mm. been secured and established. And now God sets out what life will look like for Israel in this particular relationship, right? So mm-hmm. it's not about God's love and favor, but it's about continuing in this relationship. It's about Israel being willing to receive the mm. blessings that God has in store for them, that he freed them in order to receive. Yeah, and let's unpack that a little bit further, because the relationship aspect is super important here. Uh, you said that uh, verse 11 features the greatest blessing. So what is the blessing listed here, and why is it the greatest? Right, Leviticus twenty six eleven. after God makes these promises for um, peace and stability and fruitful harvests and 
you know, food for everybody and great long generations of good relationships and, and all this stuff. Verse 11 says, on top of those things, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you, and I will walk among you and will be your God, and you shall be my people. And this is the greatest blessing because this is a return to the way things should be, right? Mm -hmm. We hear God talking about walking among the people, about dwelling with his people, and it it rings of Eden, of what it was Mm -hmm. like when Adam and Eve were created before sin entered the world, and God had this face-to-face relationship with his creatures. Mm -hmm. And what God is saying here is, if you receive the blessings that I have in store for you, if you choose to follow in these ways that I am telling you to live, we're going to go back. Things will be returned to uh, the way I wanted them to be, where I will be dwelling among you. There's nothing Mm. more valuable to a human than a return to the way things should be, especially as it it pertains to your relationship with God, walking face-to-face, an, an intimate relationship, daily engaging. That's what we were created for. Hmm. And so what God is saying here is living in the covenant is getting back to that. Mm-hmm. Well, what's re- remarkable about this is that God literally dwelled among the Israelites in the Old Testament in, in, in a tent when they were stationed, but as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night when they were on the move, uh, we have none of those today. But does God still dwell with us? Yeah, in in a much more powerful way. Um, mm. You know, we we hear I, you hear these things you're talking about, right? The the glory of God filling the tabernacle. He will yeah. make His presence known on the mercy seat above the Ark of the Covenant. The Shekinah glory cloud of God, the pillar of fire by night. You even think of the the mighty rushing wind and smoke that fills the temple when Solomon dedicates it, and it's easy for us to think, man, that's so powerful, and mm-hmm. like, I wish we could see something like that, and that would be so amazing. Right. And for sure it was, like, there's no doubt about it, that was an, an amazing display of power mm-hmm. uh, that signified God's presence, or the visible representations of God's presence, which we would call theophanies, right? That's what Mm -hmm. uh, theologians call them, theophanies, uh, visible representations of God's presence. Mm -hmm. But they all pale in comparison to God showing up in human form, right? In in Jesus, in the Incarnation, Mm -hmm. right? Colossians 1 tells us that in Jesus, the fullness of God dwelt bodily, right? Not some of God, not a representation of God, of His power, mm-hmm. of His presence, but His actual presence, the fullness of God. And that's amazing. That mm-hmm. There is nothing more powerful about the, the pillar of fire or the cloud than Jesus walking around mm-hmm. uh, in first century Palestine. Um, and guess what? Jesus says at the end of His life, after rising from the dead, it's better for me to go and be, you know, to leave you mm. so that the ho- the helper can come, right? He says in John 16, it's to your advantage that I go away, for when I go, the helper will come to you. And that is how we experience God dwelling with us daily, is through the Holy Spirit, the helper mm-hmm. that Jesus was promising. 
And so if the greatest representation, if God himself says, it's better for me to leave so you can have the helper, the Mm -hmm. third person of the Trinity, then we have with us, dwelling in our hearts, those who follow Jesus, the the greatest possible connection to God uh, that we know about Mm -hmm. at this point in our lives, right? Before he returns and we spend eternity with him, Right now, the Holy Spirit that dwells within us mm-hmm. is the greatest possible way God can dwell with His people. And I, I totally agree. I, I, my, my, my problem, I guess, is that sometimes it's hard to feel God's presence in a way that I think that the Israelites could feel, and they could see it, it was more tangible, it was bigger, it was broader... Um, so I don't know how do we how do we feel God's presence more than sure I I think the other thing that goes with the 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 bigger broader aspect of God's presence was also the the hedges and fences that put distance between themselves and God hmm. right like as we talked about when we we talked about the building of the tabernacle one of the things that we see very clearly on display is you can't come in. You can't come in just whenever you want. You got to come in through the gate. And you can't come in through the gate unless you have been cleaned. And you got to follow the the laws, the purity laws, the holiness, cleanliness code, Mm -hmm. right? You can't come in unless the sacrifices have been made, unless animals are screaming and blood is spraying everywhere. And mm-hmm. yeah, and then you can't go past the altar. You can't go up to the tabernacle. And, and if you go up to the tabernacle, you got to be a priest. And if you're a priest, you can only go into the front part of the tabernacle, except for the one time of the year when the high priest gets to go in. And even then, he might die. And he's got, right. you know, rope and bells. Rope, and so, right, exactly. yes, there is a sense in which this is far more uh, big, powerful, on display, visible um, for Israel but it's also uh, much further in terms of personal relationship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so for us, this the reality is um, we can approach God every, every moment of every day. Right. We know because of Him dwelling with us, we can talk to Him whenever we want, almost like He is right next to us, you know, not in a mm. crazy, I'm hearing voices and I'm talking kind of way, but in a real personal, like, I am so frustrated right now, God, that things aren't working out and know that we're not just talking to ourselves, mm-hmm. but that through the Holy Spirit dwelling in us and Jesus, our intermediary, sitting at the right hand of God, we are actually talking to Him and engaging with Him, and He hears us. Mm. And so I, I agree with you, there's this sense of like, it, it's not as visible and as palpable as it might have been, but it's far more personal, and it's far more intimate because it can happen at any point of your life, and there's mm. not this huge, uh, you know, obstruction between you and God, because it's all been torn down by Jesus. Yeah. It's all, yeah. the, the way has been paved. Yeah, there's really nowhere we can go where God isn't then. I mean, that's the thing. It's like His presence was with us at every moment, at any time, yeah. which is remarkable. Okay, so this chapter talks about blessings and curses. How does how does obedience lead to blessing, and does that still apply to us today? Right, so for Israel, obedience leads to blessing because God is telling them, this is the way my family lives, this is the way that my children live, and the blessing is not only doing the things and pleasing the Father, but it is receiving the benefits of being 
a, ch- a children of the creator of the universe, right? And mm-hmm. uh, it's a little different for us uh, today. Um, you know, once a year, Bob and I teach our fourth and fifth grade classes uh, in uh, a membership class, basically, what it means to be a member of the church and what it looks like to to own your faith and what you are um, following when you follow Jesus, what it looks like. And one of the things we talk about is how uh, obedience and, and the law in particular feels like a ladder. When we mm-hmm. obey the laws of God, we climb higher to God, closer to Him, right? Blessings, mm. we get the blessings. And when we fail, we're going down the rungs of the ladder. We fall mm. back down, away from God. It's so easy to feel that way. Yeah. But because of Jesus, because of His uh, perfect work on our behalf and His sacrificial death for us, the law is no longer like a ladder. It's not obedience that gets you up to God, but the ladder instead is laid down on the ground like a railroad track. This is the analogy that we use. Mm-hmm. Um, the law of God, the the ways that we obey, uh, is like a, a the track upon which the train of our life moves as we move through life. Obedience means we begin to live as God created us to live. Um, and the blessing aspect of that uh, can be talked about in a better way uh, by calling it flourishing, right? Mm. Obeying God's commands leads to human flourishing, right? Both yeah. initial obedience, right? D- not coveting, not murdering, obeying your parents, right? That is a flourishing state. Mm-hmm. But also then, repentance upon failure. Once you realize, oh my gosh, I- I've missed this part of the train track. I've, I've lied. I've stolen. Whatever it is, mm. repentance leads to flourishing as well, because that's the command of God for those who are sinners. And so uh, both obedience and repentance upon failure lead to human flourishing, and that's the blessings that we receive of following Jesus, right? Our mm-hmm. eternal destination is secure. Mm-hmm. The blessings of a perfect relationship with God for all eternity is set because of Jesus's death and resurrection. But daily blessing, the flourishing of our life here and now, is what it looks like when we obey in mm-hmm. our daily lives. Okay, so that's and that's great news for us for sure. Yes. Um, okay, let's go back to the narrative then. That the story, if you're reading chapter. Uh, 26, um, there's a turn, and the turn happens in verse 14. It switches from blessings to curses, and it begins, but if you will not listen to me and will not do all of these commandments, dot, 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 then curses. The blessings laid out in the beginning of this chapter are conditional. The Israelites will receive these blessings if they follow God's commandments. Given that God knows humanity's propensity to sin why would he make his blessings conditional? Yeah, that's, uh, you know... <laughs> that's one of those big theological questions. This is a... Right. Yeah. Well, there's a simple answer, and then yeah. there's the deeper answer, right? And the right. simple answer is that this agreement between God and Israel here is just another installment of the agreement between God and humanity mm-hmm. uh, through Adam, right, in the garden. Right. This is what uh, scholars call the covenant of works between God and man, where God creates humanity and says, here's what it looks like uh, to live as I've created you to live. Um, You can eat of every tree in the garden. You uh, can, you should uh, fill the earth, you know, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. You will be my 
vice regents caring for my creation, uh, doing what I say, obeying me, and that will lead to blessing and life. Or you disobey, which is don't touch or don't eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you do, you're surely going to die, right? This is Mm. the covenant of works. And as that covenant of works continues on, it has different installments. We see it with uh, Noah, we see it with Abraham, we see it with, you know, renewed Isaac, Jacob, and here it continues on. So this is just an expansion of the covenant of works. That's why the blessings are conditional. Mm. But once we go back, then the question becomes, why did God make the covenant of works conditional in its blessings in the beginning? Mm-hmm. Um, which That's a tougher question. Is a, is a harder answer. Yeah. Um, but if we wanted to take all of the scholarship on this and to kind of reduce it to a way we can understand it, um, it's because God built us, created us to be in relationship with Him. Mm. And because God is love, a loving relationship with His people can't be controlling, right? Mm-hmm. If He just yeah. made us to be puppets who did the things He told us to do, right. that is not loving. And uh, love is not controlling. Yes. So God can't make us obey, um, but... He gave us, in humanity, as He created us, the possibility to sin and the possibility not to sin. That's Mm -hmm. how we were created. Unfortunately, we, as humanity, chose to turn away from God, to see if there was a better way. And Mm. there's so many people who are like, well, if I I was in the garden, it would have been different. (laughs) I I would have done it the right way. And the reality is, no. No, Adam true. did, and Eve did exactly yeah. what we all would have done, period. Right. right. So there's a sense in which God gives the option for obedience or disobedience, and in His non-time-constrained, infinite wisdom, mm-hmm. knows how it's all going to go down, and agreed within the Trinity before the creation of the world that when it goes down this way, here's how we will solve it. Mm. That is the covenant of grace, mm. um, and and that takes over from the covenant of works in Jesus's death and resurrection. Well, thanks be to God. That's that's and and that is good news. We preach that every every week. Yeah. Uh, that is a, the, the gospel. Okay, so when we're reading this this chapter. And we start to see, you know, okay, here's the blessings, the blessings, and then we get to, to verse 14, it says, but, and then you think, uh-oh. And there's a little foreshadow, and, and we actually do know the rest of the story. The Israelites failed to keep God's commandments and statutes over and over again. Does God follow through with the curses? And if so, uh, why is that both bad and good news? Oh, yeah. I mean, the rest, the rest of the Old Testament is just... Israel turning their backs over and over and over again on God. Um, and, you know, there are some faithful people, through, without a doubt, there are some people who, um, you know, kind of surprise you in the story because they choose, instead of the ways of their uh, fellow, you know, countrymen and women, they choose to mm-hmm. be faithful. 
Um, but the reality is, uh, God does. Um, you know, Israel is visited by internal strife uh, as I mean, as soon as uh, possible, right? Like mm-hmm. um, the 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 Book of Judges is bad. It's not <laughs> and, good, and no, it is good. things are mm. things are rough, and it it gets a little bit better in terms of internal stability, but not really. Mm-hmm. Um, and so eventually, you know, we see horrible stuff happening on a national level. We see horrible stuff happening on a tribal level. We see the country split in half. After Solomon dies, we see uh, terrible things. And eventually what happens is, you know, the northern kingdom is taken over and exiled, and mm-hmm. the people are sent scattered among the nations. And then eventually the southern kingdom, Judah, is... Um, same thing happens. They are conquered and scattered, and the people are no longer uh, left in the land that God promised to dwell with them in because of their disobedience, right? And mm-hmm. so it's bad news because the reality is we sin just like Israel does, right? Like mm. we are sinners and idolaters. We find things to worship and put our hope in just like Israel does. Um, and so the the stories of Israel in the Old Testament should open our eyes to the reality of the, uh, you know, the the power of sin and the penalty of sin. Mm. Um, but it, it's good news uh, because um, this is this paves the way, right? This mm-hmm. paves the way for uh, Jesus to come. And what it shows us is that God deals with sin. He doesn't just turn a blind eye to it. He doesn't ignore it. Um, he is just, right? There are so many of us who have been harmed by the sin of others mm-hmm. and and wonder if anyone will stick up for us, if anybody will bring justice. Is there no justice, right? Mm. Um, that There's a longing in many of our hearts for that. And what we see from God's response to the sin of His own people uh, tells us, yeah, God is just. Um, and so uh, we see that on the one hand as good news. We also see that you know Israel gets to this point where th- there are people who are faithful, but as a people group, Israel has uh, you know they've been scattered. They're mm-hmm. they're lost. And so th- you know as we said before, there was there was no way for Israel to keep the command. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, this this. There was a hopelessness mm. in, in into which our one and only hope, Jesus, entered, I mm. think is a good way to put it. And also, I appreciate the fact, and you said this in your sermon, that when God says He's going to do something, He does it. I mean, how that would make us unsettled if He says, I'm going to do this, and then He ends up not doing it, right? Right. It's like threatening yeah. your kids not to go to Disneyland. Right. If they don't obey, and then just taking them to Disneyland, even though they're, you know, little tyrants. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm not saying you did that, Matt. I'm just saying it kind of feels like maybe Listen, that happened my, in your past. That I don't I, 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 I take the fifth. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, um, yes, that was all, all good, good and bad news. But how was God patient with Israel's disobedience? Yeah, I mean, even just from the structure of this passage, we see God's patience, because, um, you know, it, it's very clear at the beginning, if you follow my statutes and my commandments and you do all these things, here are all the blessings, and uh, if you don't, here are uh, the curses. But if you relent, uh, or if you obey, uh, we'll go back, right? There are five uh, installments of, if the curses don't make you turn back, hmm. 
then things will get worse. And, and it happens over and over again, right? So it's like, if you don't obey, here are the curses. If that doesn't make you obey, here are the curses. If that doesn't make you obey, mm. right? So there's each of those, if that doesn't make you obey, communicates God's willingness to receive um, his people back after curses have already been levied, right? It's a provision. It's God's provision mm. for repentance here. And, and in fact, after all of these uh, uh, heightenings of uh, curses in verse 40, after all the terrible stuff has come to pass, God gives uh, another final provision for repentance here. Mm. Um, and, and the most extreme amount of curses having been delivered, God says, but if you turn back, if you are willing to be faithful again, I will receive you. Uh, that is mm. remarkable, right? There yeah. is no reason at any point in the second half of the chapter for God to take anybody back, because the covenant's been broken. But he says over and over again, right? And we, we see this mm. on display in the history of Israel, right? These words are delivered to Moses on Mount Sinai, uh, right? Probably at, right after the golden calf, or, or maybe before the golden mm-hmm. calf events in Exodus. And so while God is saying these things, the covenant is being broken, or has just been broken, or is already broken. And he has every right to just wipe them off the map, right? But... but Moses's response to God is, please, you know, don't don't take this uh, against us, right? And God says, you know what, fine, you guys can go into the promised land, but I'm not going to go with you. And Moses mm-hmm. says, we're not going anywhere without you, um, right? There is already a, an essence of God's patience. And then what we see is, as Israel goes through generation after generation after generation of uh, faithlessness, of idolatry, of, uh, you know, co-opting other religions to mingle in and, and mm. develop this syncretistic Judaic belief system within Israel, instead of just wiping them off the map right away, God is patient, and, and it takes a long time for all of these curses to come uh, to fruition. Yeah, he is slow to anger, right, and and yeah. quick to forgive, and and that, again, that is good news. Um, so we've talked about some applications to us today, but let's let's switch more to us. These blessings and curses were a warning to the Israelites. Uh, what are they to us? Both of them are are pointers to Jesus, hmm. right? As everything is um, in the in in the New Testament in Second Corinthians one verse ten, Paul says that all of the promises of God in Jesus are yes and amen. So as we read the, mm. these promised blessings, um, as we see what God said would happen if people obeyed, we should believe that those are to us because of Jesus' obedience, right? His mm-hmm. perfect work, His death, His resurrection, His actually completing the human side of the covenant of works. Mm. Um, it is through His work that we receive the blessings of God. So those are for us. That's to us. Um, and in particular, verse 11, the relationship with God, the intimate connection and a return to Eden is ours because of Jesus' work. 
And we know that he took the curses of the covenant upon himself, right? The the penalty of our sin, the penalty of our failures was poured out on Jesus on the cross. He not only took the curse that we deserve, but he became a curse Hmm. for us. As it says, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. So in, in our engagement with this passage, both blessings and curses point us to Jesus. So let me put a finer point on this. And you just said that, that the cur- God's curses were placed on Jesus. Does that mean that God does not curse us today? Uh, correct. Yeah. Right. Uh, God, uh, Jesus took the curse, became the curse for us. Uh, now, you know, again, that's not to say God won't bring justice upon those mm. who are holding on to their own efforts for justification. Right, those who refuse to put their trust in Jesus, who think that there maybe isn't anything wrong with them, or that they've done enough good works to outweigh their bad works, uh, God says uh, in the day of Jesus's return, the the day of judgment, um, there will be justice for mm-hmm. every sin. Right, that includes your sin and my sin, and for us, because of what Jesus has done, the justice is poured on the cross to Jesus. So the curse has been dealt to those who are trusting in Jesus. For those who aren't, it's still looming, if that makes mm. sense. But yeah, not no, totally. applied today. Right. Well, that's, and then again, that's also great news. So uh, what do we need to do to get God's blessings then? Yeah, we got to receive them. Just as Israel was receiving these blessings, uh, we receive them by receiving Jesus himself, right? Romans 10 tells us uh, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. That's mm-hmm. enough. That's mm-hmm. enough to receive the verse 11 blessings of a, a mended, renewed, restored relationship with God, right? But a- again, God offers flourishing uh, in human daily life, not blessings uh, necessarily of good harvest and good food and and safe relationships and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but flourishing by living as uh, you were in, called to live, right? And to be honest, you don't you don't get one without the other. It's not like okay, you know what? I'm just going to choose the eternal blessings, uh, but mm-hmm. not really engage with the daily stuff, right? If you are saved you are also being transformed, and that transformation is the flourishing aspect of it. Uh, but we think of folks who, you know, like the thief on the cross, who was there next to Jesus, who professed his faith by saying, you know, will you, you know, remember me when you come into your kingdom? He never got a chance to have mm-hmm. a, a, a flourishing life, uh, but he still received God's blessing by receiving Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so in this chapter, um, there's a lot about God's laws, and let me ask you this, and after Jesus, does the law even matter anymore? Absolutely. Um, uh, you know, it doesn't matter in the sense of justification, right? Mm-hmm. We don't, as we said, we don't climb the ladder of the law in order to get to God, um, but it matters, right? And there are three r- real uses for the law of God. In our life. The first one is to help restrain the effects of sin in the world, right? We have to be able to know that there are uh, moral absolutes, and mm-hmm. uh, I think, you know, many of us understand some of them, but for the, the Christian, there are 
other ways that God has called us to live that many other people might not agree with, but it helps restrain the effects of sin in the world, right? Bearing false witness, lying, uh, choosing to, to live according to God's laws helps restrain the effects of sin in the world. That's the first one. The mm-hmm. second one is to show us uh, how we failed, right? And, and point us to Jesus, right? The, the law is kind of like a mirror, like, here's what you're supposed to do, and look how you're not doing it, right? Not in mm-hmm. a shaming way, mm-hmm. but in an invitation. Here, here is a place you can come and ask for repentance. Um, and then the third way is to help us know what flourishing should look like. So how do, how do I live as God created me to live? Here's a roadmap. Here are some mm. guidelines. Do these things. Don't do those things. That will lead to flourishing. Um, and, and so the law it really, really matters. But what we have to kind of move past is the idea that obeying the law is what makes God love us, and disobeying mm-hmm. the law is what makes God hate us. Those, that's, that's not true. It feels mm-hmm. that way because cause and effect rules over our lives, but uh, it's not that way because of Jesus' death and resurrection. Mm-hmm. You mentioned this just a minute ago, and it's actually the second point of your service, a, ser- a sermon uh, about invitation. What, what specifically is God's invitation to us, and how do we say yes to it? This is, uh, you know, I, th- I think we do a good job of articulating this in our membership vows. When we welcome new members into the church, uh, our second membership vow is, um, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners, and do you now receive uh, and rest upon Him alone for salvation as He is offered in the gospel? And so, uh, you know, I think receiving and resting upon Jesus alone is the way mm. that we uh, respond to God's invitation, because the invitation of God is recognizing that the all of the work has been done when it comes mm. to uh, our uh, covenant with Him, the responsibility mm. of obedience for justification, receiving His work, His finished work on our behalf, and resting on Him in the sense of, I am not going to try to find ways to flourish anymore, Mm. but I have seen the ways God has set out to flourish. God, through His Spirit at work within me, is helping me grow in this way of flourishing. And so receiving and resting upon Jesus alone is the way that we uh, take in the finished work of Jesus on our behalf. And it's so counter-cultural. I mean, the idea that you get something the greatest thing for for nothing and i think it's probably hard for people to grasp that that what but if they if we finally do and people do come to faith knowing that that um god did it all for them how should this inspire us to live uh it's a totally totally different perspective on life right um i think one of the things that is really easiest in my life right now to point to is how how we hold ourselves in our minds right we hmm. we don't have to defend ourselves we don't have to prove ourselves we don't have to achieve we don't have to um you know make our presence and relationship worth it Mm-hmm. Um, because the God of the universe has already communicated that we are worth it right and so uh, 
the the way that it changes our life is to recognize the security that we have and to live out of that security knowing that we have been adopted as sons and daughters of the most high mm. all of all of god's riches are, are ours because of what Jesus has done for us. And so it's a it's a place of security that we wake up into every morning. It doesn't mean that everything is perfect and everything is happy, but we are secure. Our our status, our uh, eternal, you know, position uh, there is such a security and a peace that we have that we should be operating from instead of fear and and insecurity and concern and suspicion mm-hmm. and offense right there is a a peace and a and a confidence that we live out of so we're we're adopted we're secure um and this is my last question to you uh and we understand that but is there anything we can do to make god love us more or less no, I mean, you say this at the end of every podcast, right? I do. Like, I this do. is your little tagline. <laughs> um, and I think it's true. I, and I, you, I say this a lot too to people, particularly when I'm in counseling, because we just get so wrapped up in this. I know what I should be doing. I know what I should be doing. I know, I know, mm. I know. And it, it comes with a silent, you know, added uh, phrase, right? I know what I should be doing to make God happy with me. Mm, yes, right. And, there is nothing you can do to make God more happy with you. Because when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. He is as happy with you as possible. He loves you as much as possible. You can do nothing to make him love you more, and you can do nothing to make him love you less. So wait, when we sin, he's not going, wagging his finger and going, oh man, I chose you, but man, this is uh, intolerable. No, right. This is yeah. this is the this is the shocking thing, is that uh, for most of us, when we think about God's face, uh, particularly looking at us in the midst of our sin, it is so shaped by how we've interacted with authority figures in our life. And so, mm. for many of us, God, it probably we don't think God's angry with us. We don't think God is upset. But most of us kind of live with this brooding sense of God's. Just a little disappointed. Yeah, yeah. And that's the opposite of what the Bible says, right? Mm. We see Jesus articulate the story of the, you know, the wayward son who returns home, and the father could not be more delighted that the son has returned, even though he's taken Mm. half of his money, he's squandered it, he's slandered his name, he's made him a public embarrassment, and the dude comes home smelling like pigs, Mm. and the the, the father is just so happy to see his kid. And that's how God responds to us because of Jesus. So even when we don't love ourselves, God does love us. Yes. Yeah. Stephen, thanks again for your your time this morning. Yeah, thanks, Matt. The title of Stephen's sermon is Blessings and Curses. It's part of our sermon series from the book of Leviticus. You can find that sermon and all our sermons and this podcast on iTunes and Spotify and on our website at gracesouthbay.com. We hope that these conversations are helping you develop a closer relationship with Jesus. If you have questions about the Christian faith or just need someone to talk to, we've got pastors, elders, youth leaders, and a women's care team ready to help. We're just an email or a phone call away. 
If you have a prayer request, you can go directly to our website at gracesouthbay.com and submit your request using the prayer button at the top of the website. And if you're new to Grace South Bay, we would encourage you to fill out a Connect card and one of our pastors will reach out to you. And of course, we'd love to have you join us for Sunday morning worship. We meet at 9 a.m. at Crossroads Bible Church in San Jose. We'll be back next week with another episode of the GSB Podcast, so stay tuned, stay connected, and be encouraged knowing that nothing can separate you from God's love. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you more or less. We look forward to our next time together. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks for listening.